Welcome to the Fabulous 413. I'm Cleese Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. Later in the show, a preview of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. celebration happening at the Mass Mutual Center in Springfield this Monday with Shannon Rudder of MLK Jr. Family Services, Eileen McCaffrey from Community Music School, and Dr. Calvin Hill of Springfield College. And I suppose... We have to talk about the end of the Bill Belichick era with the New England Patriots. We'll talk with Springfield native, former D1 college football player and political course consultant Ryan McCollum and maybe a special guest. But what does this guy think? I've been kind of puzzled by some of the commentary I've seen online about people saying, oh, you know, it's, you know, good riddance and I'm glad he's going. Um, I look at it differently. I mean, I think he was a, a great leader of the Patriots and... We all should say a big thank you uh, for uh, his leadership of the team. This is like analogous to the head of your party right now running for re-election this year for president of the United States in some ways, perhaps. <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, you, yeah, you can but, always uh, play the fifth, Congressman. You don't have to era. answer all of my questions. <laughs> Time for our weekly check-in with U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Worcester's own Congressman Jim McGovern. McGoverning with McGovern. Down to more of the brass tacks about what you're actually paid to do, which is be our representative in Congress. It looks like we are uh, same situation, different speaker when it comes to a funding plan because the GOP mega hardliners are now balking at this government funding compromise that has been negotiated. It's been the same tract essentially for a year. Now a new speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, will have to navigate these exact same political currents. And those hardliners are already kind of intimating, well, maybe he's not our guy and going to remove him. What's your take on whether the government will be funded? What is it, eight or nine days from now? Yeah, uh, that's the the first deadline. There are two deadlines. I have no idea, to be honest with you. I was relieved that there was an agreement uh, to, you know, with regard to the top line numbers, which gave me hope that we would avoid a government shutdown. And now we're back. And a group that certainly doesn't represent the majority of the House is basically threatening the Speaker uh, and making all these crazy demands. I mean, these people do not represent even the mainstream of most thinking by Republicans. But they seem to be you know, unshy about trying to make all these demands, and uh, they, they basically shut the House down yesterday. They brought down a rule which would have allowed three bills to come up for consideration. It had nothing to do with the government shutdown, but they wanted to just make it clear to the Speaker that they, they're willing to do anything, including shut the House down. Uh, if they don't get their way. Like Let me backtrack children. a little bit here, too, because so you are the ranking member of the Rules Committee. You were the chair yeah. of the Rules Committee, but now right. Republicans are in control of the Rules Committee. So ostensibly, Republicans right. created this rule, and then Republicans right. shut this rule down. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Correct. So Yeah, so, I mean, uh, but they're, they're like spoiled children, and they're going to do whatever they have to do to try to get their way. At, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, the Speaker can bring a bill to the floor under what we call a suspension calendar, which you need two-thirds of the House to vote for in order for it to move forward. But I, I think if it's a reasonable compromise, like the one that was outlined, again, not everything in it I like, some stuff I do like, but if, it's, if it doesn't have all these controversial riders on it, dealing with abortion and everything else that Republicans like to talk about, then we should be able to get an overwhelming majority of the House to pass it. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And, you know, he may face a revolt, another move to expel him. I mean, I don't know who's going to be left Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be acceptable to the Republicans to be speaker. 
speaking with U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern. And we are now officially in an election year. We're shortly going to see the different states in their primaries and their caucuses making decisions on the Republican side. Uh, Chris Christie dropped out of the race yesterday and then caught on a hot mic, potentially disparaging one of the only other contenders against Donald Trump, especially in New Hampshire. And we are just a few days past the anniversary of the January 6th attack on the Capitol, which for listeners of this show may not know, you, Congressman McGovern, were the last man standing on the floor of the House of Representatives. Speaker Pelosi at the time was whisked away to safety as she is third in line for the presidency. And you were you were left there. I got to speak to you on January 7th in the morning that next day, and it was a chilling conversation. And now Massachusetts is thinking about joining Colorado and Maine in banning Trump from the ballot. Amherst's John Bonifaz, who I hope to have on the show, hopefully next week to talk about this, is one of the people behind the Massachusetts effort to do this. As I mentioned, you were the last man standing on the House of Representatives floor on January 6th. There are still people who claim that that was a peaceful protest. Tell us your recollection now, three years on from that anniversary. Well, when I hear people say that, I, I get frustrated because, as you mentioned, I was the last person on the House floor. I, I took over for Speaker Pelosi when she was whisked away. And when we finally were able to evacuate the members of Congress and staff on the House floor, I walked off the floor into the Speaker's lobby, which is right off the, you know, right next to the uh, the main chamber. And there are glass doors. And I could see, you know, hundreds of people swearing at me, pounding their fists on the glass. They ultimately broke the glass. Uh, and they were carrying this woman, Ashley Babbitt, uh, through the opening that they had made, and she was shot and killed, and then they all dispersed. But I have no doubt that if they had got at us, we would have been hurt or killed ourselves. They were manic. Uh, they were not peaceful. They were destroying property. They were The, the capital was in shambles. You know, in, in the aftermath of this attack, at Confederate flags, <laughs> they were shouting racist comments at some of the, um, uh, the Capitol Hill police. I mean, it was, it was awful. And the idea that somehow this is a this constituted a, a peaceful protest, or this was a these people were true patriots. Give me a break. Um, many of them were associated with white supremacist groups and other hate groups, but it was all agitated by the former president. And so, you know, the idea that a man who instigated this attack on the Capitol, where people were harmed, some people ultimately lost their life, that somehow he would get go be put back into the White House? I mean, what are people thinking? He is not fit to you know, walk on the grounds of the Capitol or the White House again. So there's so much at stake. And I, I think we have to be very focused on the fact that what ultimately is on the ballot in November is whether or not our democracy survives. You know, we, we can have our disagreements with Joe Biden on a lot of stuff, and I disagree with him on a number of issues. But, I mean, this election is like no other election in our lifetime. Speaking with U.S. Congressman Jim McGovern, we're officially in 2024, and your role has changed slightly in 2024. You were uh, named the vice chair of the Congressional LGBTQIA Caucus. Tell us what that caucus is all about and why, as a straight white man, you are one of the vice chairs of this congressional caucus. Well, because, uh, one, what the caucus is, is focused on is protecting uh, the rights of the LGBTQ plus community, also fighting against attempts to roll back some of the progress that we've made, uh, you know, in terms of helping fight for uh, equality and fairness and justice uh, 
in the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, it's a diverse group of people who are on the uh, who are in the caucus, and uh, you know. And I was asked whether I would be willing to be the vice chair, and I was like, I'd be honored to. The LGBTQ community is a vibrant, wonderful, incredible part of our greater community here in the United States, and uh, and I worry very much because rights are under attack like they've never been under attack before. So that's why I'm on the in the caucus, and that's why I'm the vice chair. A troubling piece of news that came out of the Statehouse News Service and our parent company, WGBH, was covering this as well at the very end of 2023, is the new numbers when it comes to food insecure households in Massachusetts. The Statehouse News Service reporting that between 2021 and 2023, the number of Massachusetts residents living in food insecure households increased by close to 50 percent, and this is data according to the U.S. Department of Agriculture, Uh, you also went on to tweet that one in five Massachusetts households with children struggle with hunger, yet America is a land of abundance. We have enough to feed everyone. We together have worked on the March for the Food Bank for many years. Is is this a staggering number to you? Was this a number surprising to you when you see 50 percent increase in households who are food insecure in your state, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts? Look, when I hear numbers like that, it's always staggering. It's always shocking. Uh, you know, we we do live in the richest country in the history of the world, yet we have hunger. I mean, I think some of the the things that will help alleviate that uh, are the, the recent uh, passage of legislation in the state legislature, supported by the governor, to make school meals, breakfast and lunch, universal and free. I think that will go a long way in helping uh, deal with the with that number but there's much more that we need to do and um, hunger is is a political condition i mean we we can solve this problem and uh, we just need the political will to do it and and i i hope that this number shocks a lot of people and gets more legislators at the state level and at the federal level to uh you know to make this one of their priority issues uh, but uh, you know again food ought to be viewed as a fundamental human right for every single person in this country and on this planet and we should be ashamed of numbers like that. We're heading into Martin Luther King Jr. weekend, and uh, you worked very closely with one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s close associates uh, who became a representative, John Lewis. Can you talk about the influence of, of John Lewis on your life and career before he passed away? Well, I miss him. I, you know, I have a wall in my office kind of dedicated to John Lewis because he had such an impact uh, on my life. And right before he died, uh, he challenged us uh, to, uh, you know, to, to do more. He, I mean, he, he used to say, together, we all can redeem the soul of our nation, which uh, which is something I think about all the time. Uh, but I've traveled with him uh, on a number of occasions to uh, civil rights sites uh, that were important in his life uh, in Alabama and in Georgia. And uh, I marched with him symbolically over the uh, Edmund Pettus Bridge, where he was beaten um, and almost died uh, when he was marching for voting rights. But he used to say that uh, the right to vote is not only precious, it's it's sacred. And I, I, I wish he were still alive. I wish his voice was, was still ringing loudly, because right now he would be reminding us that we can't set these elections out. I mean, there's too much at stake. I and mean, We have to be involved. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we could very well turn our government over to a guy who is a racist, um, you know, who doesn't believe in equality, who brags like he did last night about his overturning of Roe versus Wade, who has contempt for the LGBTQ plus community, who, you know, who mocks immigrants. I mean, who, I mean, everything that we are taught 
to not be Donald Trump represents. So John Lewis, uh, you know, I think about him all every day, and I wish he was still with us. This weekend, Congressman McGovern, you're going to be on Sunday at an organic farm celebration. Uh, thank you, Barry. Barry, Massachusetts. Thank you, Organic yeah. Farmers. A book signing for the, with the Barry Players on Common Street. The book is Many Hands Make a Farm. 47 Years of Questioning Authority, Feeding a Community, and Building an Organic Movement. Can you talk about uh, the folks who are behind this event and, and why you'll be there as part of a, a book launch, essentially? Well, you know, I, I do these farm tours every year, uh, and I visit visited their farm a couple of years ago. And I'm always amazed at the ingenuity and the forward thinkingness of, of so many of our farmers and, and some of the stuff they're doing. And when people talk about organic farming, sometimes they say, well, we, you can't do it and it doesn't work here and we, we, you can't make a living on it, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they have a perspective that, uh, that you can. And we want to make sure we support our local farmers in every which way we can because uh, every time a farm shuts down in Massachusetts, uh, that land could be potentially developed into something that can never be used for farming again. But I'm looking forward to it. These are good people, and um, it'll be a fun thing to do on Sunday. And the, the people are Jack Kittredge and Julie Rawson, and yep. it is uh, a farm in Barry, Massachusetts, on Common Street. Many Hands Make a Farm is the name of the book. I saw, I couldn't find it again when I went back looking for it, but while I was on break, you released a list of all the books you read in 2023 and have like committed yourself to reading not just the news, but reading other books. This is the well, first year that you tried that, and is, are you going to keep that up well, in 2024? Yeah, because you know, I mean, I mean, and I think you're in the same boat as I'm in. I yeah. mean, we, you know, we, we focus on news all the time, so you know, we read newspapers, we read things online, and we never ever sit back and, you know, and try to read anything that's is either fiction or nonfiction that, you know, that may require a commitment. But at the same time, I, I always, I don't know, I, I feel better after I read a book. Me you too. Know? And I'm so, uh, you know, so, but whether I can, can keep my commitment or not, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I read three books when I was on my break and I was like, oh, that felt really good to get three books already in 2023 under my belt. So that's good. Yeah, well, I, 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 um, I was spending uh, a lot of my time uh, during the break trying to catch up on movies and, you know, <laughs> TV series that other people have told me were good, and yeah, no, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff out there to distract us from some of the realities that we're faced with every day. But here's the deal: I mean, we this year is going to be a wild ride, and you know, we've been through a lot of elections, and we always say it's the most important election of our lifetime. But but this year, we I really, really, really mean it. I mean, we've never had a choice like this. We've never been in a situation like this before, and it's going to require people to actually be engaged and to participate and to, you know, not sit on the sidelines. I mean, you know, we lose our democracy. That's it. I, and I was a history major in college. The world is littered with countries that were, were democracies and then lost their democracy. Some of them got them back. Some of them didn't. And people always say, well, it can't happen here. We're the United States of America. You know, none of this, ever, none of this stuff can ever happen here. It can happen here. And it is happening here. I don't know if that means I should read more dystopian fiction or less dystopian <laughs> fiction. I don't know. It could well, go either way. With yeah, that. I will. Yeah. As long as you vote, I don't care what you read. So. <laughs> U.S. Congressman from the 2nd Congressional District of Massachusetts, Worcester's own Congressman Jim McGovern, joins us every Thursday. If you've got a question for the Congressman, you can send it our way, thefab413 at nepm.org. We'll sign you up for the NEPM Book Club, too, Congressman, to keep your book reading going. I think it'd be good. <laughs> good. All right. Be safe. 
Later in the show, the end of an era, the end of a dynasty. We'll say farewell to Patriots coach Bill Belichick with Springfield's Ryan McCollum. What do you think? Bad decision or about time for Bill to go? Email the fab413 at nepm.org. Let us know. Up next, getting ready for this Monday's celebration of Dr. King in Springfield with Shannon Rudder of MLK Junior Family Services, Eileen McCaffrey from Community Music School, and Dr. Calvin Hill of Springfield College. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413. This Monday is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and each year the MLK Collaborative organizes Springfield's annual citywide Dr. King Day celebration at the Mass Mutual Center in Springfield. On his actual birthday this time. Nice. The annual Dr. King Day celebrations provide all Springfield area individuals, youth, family, and seniors with an opportunity to celebrate and honor Dr. King's legacy through a rich tapestry of cultural presentations by community-based organizations. The program includes song, dance, musical performances, and inspirational words by talented youth and adult leaders from the Springfield community. The event reflects the many ways that Dr. King's life and teachings continue to inspire our community. Joining us from the Martin Luther King Collaborative is Shannon Rudder, President and CEO of Martin Luther King Jr. Family Services, Mason Square in Springfield, where we start the March for the Food Bank every year. Eileen McCaffrey, Executive Director of the Community Music School of Springfield, and Dr. Calvin Hill, Vice President for Inclusion and Community Engagement at Springfield College. Uh, we're not going to make you do the uh, radio voice that you were uh, you were trying <laughs> to practice. You're welcome to do so. You are in welcome your to leisure. do it at, at your leisure or at any time during this conversation. Uh, thank you all for joining us as three members of this collaborative. So, um, when did this MLK collaborative begin in Springfield? Who wants to field that one? Hi, everybody's pointing at Eileen from Community Music School. <laughs> okay, I guess so. Well, um, actually, it was 11 years ago. Ron Johnson, who at the time was the head of the MLK Family Services, came to the Community Music School because he was a board member. And he said there was a gorgeous tradition at the Eastfield Mall that folks like Ben Smith from Dream Studio had been a part of, and of course, the great Dora Robinson. And he said, we need to reimagine it, but we need to reconnect. Mm. And that is to put have a day on where our young people could be shining their gifts out and we could be receiving it and amplifying their voices. And so that started 11 years ago. And over the years, we've continued to just add so many beautiful community partners like our Springfield College partner in Calvin. And it just continues to be like the just rooted in this community where we get to be a part of something that is a really beautiful celebration of all that is beloved in this community. Mm. Very cool. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about what we could expect this Monday. It starts at 9 o'clock, right, where the, the doors of the Mass Mutual Center open to everybody. It's free. There's art on display, and then the program will begin at 11. But uh, let's start with you, Shannon. What are some of the things that we will see at this MLK Day celebration on Monday? And what's the theme this year? Yeah, thank you for asking. This year's theme is Living the Legacy, Continuing the Dream. Um, it is, um, it's going to be exceptional. New this year is what we're calling a pre, 
I'm going to say pre-game, pre-show uh, <laughs> art festival um, where folks can engage. We're going to have, uh, you know, a gallery walk and an interactive art um, opportunity and opportunities to really be on, as Eileen said, with one another in community. We have local vendors that will be with us this year. We have local um, human service organizations and also artists that are going to be with us. And we've we've invited our dignitaries to actually get in the community with us. Um, and so it's just going to be a wonderful day of celebration of really self-investigating how to live in the legacy and how to continue uh, Dr. King's dream. How does participating in this event bring Springfield College and other organizations that are partnering with the MLK Day Collaborative? Am I right about this? Okay, great. Um, To the community as a whole. Well, I would say from a Springfield College perspective, uh, I joined Springfield College in 2015 uh, and immediately connected with Ron Johnson and Eileen. Uh, and when this idea came forward of supporting and sponsoring, it made perfectly good sense. Uh, as many of us know, uh, Dr. King was our 1964 commencement uh, speaker on campus. Uh, so this year we're actually cele- celebrating uh, you know, that experience uh, for the college. Uh, but for me, thinking about that legacy, Uh, and thinking about our mission of leadership and service to others, it makes perfectly good sense. Uh, When we think about our mission, you know, and we think about the theme of this year, uh, I'm reminded of the the thought process of I am my ancestors' wildest dreams. Uh, And as we think of young people performing this weekend, uh, as we think of community members standing up and talking about Dr. King's legacy, that is about that mission. That is about thinking about Dr. King's legacy. Uh, And we are all part of that. So from my perspective, it makes perfectly good sense for Springfield College. And we would even like to see more people come to the table next year. Uh, Eileen, you've been a part of this since it got reinstated 11 years ago. How has the celebration changed over the past 11 years? So it's just been beautiful, this evolution, this this collaboration not only continues to grow, but when we, the first year, 11 years ago, we held it at the Community Music School right here in downtown Springfield. And we figured maybe three, four hundred people would come and... We had people spilling out, and it's January, and it didn't matter. The doors were open and people were out. And what we realized was this matters deeply, that our community is deeply invested in shining each other's lights and lifting up our youth. And so it came from that that group. The next year we got a little bit wiser and moved to the Mass Mutual Center, (laughs) and we moved from the upstairs ballroom because that had like 800, 900 people, and now we're in the arena downstairs because there's probably 500 young people that will be performing. And there are families and the community members and elected officials. So we mm-hmm. we're looked almost 3,000 people they have seating for at the Mass Mutual Center. And it's such a family celebration. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a performance. As mm-hmm. Shannon and as um, Calvin were saying, it's more of just like a, a being together and of confirming that, you know, Dr. King's legacy is living in our young people. Mm-hmm. And when we lift that up and we stand back and say, you are brave, you are bold, and look at you, look at what you can do. It just it just radiates so much of what Dr. King's legacy is all about, you know? And it's really quite beautiful to see it year after year grow and deepen. And this year with Shannon and her team of MLK Family Services really taking the lead and helping to, to sort of reimagine that pre-show and what is that experience. It just keeps, it just keeps 
growing and and just sort of rooting, I guess, you know, at the same Mm -hmm. time. We're speaking with some of the organizers of the MLK celebration that will happen on Monday at the Mass Mutual Center in Springfield. They're part of the MLK Collaborative. And Eileen, from the Community Music School of Springfield, the executive director, you mentioned 500 students are going to be performing, which, you know, this isn't like 500 solos. Uh, or it could be a very long celebration. Um, but tell us how 500 students are participating in an event like this. What will they be doing? Well, we're so lucky to be in partnership with the Springfield Public Schools in a program called Sonido Musica, which is in a partnership that has also been around for almost 11 years. Um, and so in the schools, the young people who are doing music um, or any type of arts in the school are all part and invited to be part of the Dr. King Day celebration. So this year, the musical selection that they're working on is Lean On Me. And so in their schools, across 40 schools in Springfield, these young people have been preparing. There's 1,100 of them getting ready, but we think about 500 will come. And, Unbelievable. And Cal- well, they all did. Well, Calvin does the snacks, and Calvin, on the air, I need to tell you, I think we need more snacks. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Did you bring uh, any snacks today, Calvin? We Unfortunately, we snacks, did not bring Calvin. snacks, but I think oh. the last count that I had, uh, Eileen shared with me that we were looking at about 350 students. So I think that Springfield College did snacks for 350. So this weekend, uh, I will go to one of our big box stores, uh, and we'll make sure to uh, get some more snacks. Oh, good. And that is why we love him. Uh, <laughs> the number's already 200 more than what she gave you the last time, exactly. and it's and there's a couple of days before this happens, and it can only snowball from there. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I expect for you all to come out and help assembly all the bags. Uh, I mean, snacks. I, we, we were I there last year. Doing that sort of thing. Do you need volunteers? Like, I'm, <laughs> we can talk after the show. <laughs> and you know, we were there last year, and it is a great celebration. As you were saying, I mean, it doesn't. It feels like almost like church. And I mean, he was the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, Shannon Rudder from MLK Jr. Family Services, you mentioned some of the dignitaries that'll be there that you're trying to get into the community at the the uh, pre-event event. Tell us some of those dignitaries who are gonna be there. So um, we will have greetings and words from our own governor, Governor Healy, um, um, Senator um, Adam Gomez, Senator Markey, State Rep uh, Budell Williams. We will also hear from uh, State Rep Carlos Gonzalez um, and others yeah. <laughs> who are invited. Um, and so this is a nod for you all to confirm your attendance. Uh, <laughs> if you Not only the students <laughs> from Community Music School or through them, if we want to know so the snacks and also if you're a dignitary <laughs> who's planning on coming, let Shannon Rudder know. So. Yeah. yeah, and I love what you said, though, Monty, about um, the feeling of church. Mm. Because for me... That is the fellowship, yeah, um, and the and the reconnecting and engaging as community, um, and and we call it a day on because our hope is that we are checking in with ourselves and with our brothers and sisters in community to see in what way can we become the new faces mm-hmm. of civil rights, in what way can we, you know, take on and embody um, intentionally. Dr. King's uh, legacy. And so I love that you equated it to church. Well, if I could follow up on that, I think in addition to thinking about it as church, we know that typically the church hour is the most segregated hour of the week. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you come into the Mass Mutual Center, uh, you will see a rainbow coalition. You know, Uh, you will see individuals from different age groups. You'll see individuals from different races, ethnicities coming together. uh, And they are really 
thinking about this as a day on and not a day off. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think it is a testament to Dr. King's vision. Uh, It is a testament to us coming together, thinking about what are we going to do to empower each other uh, and to support this beloved community. Uh, We are all in this together, uh, and this is a great opportunity for us to come out, support each other, uh, and make sure that uh, this generation of students sees uh, us working together. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Callan, if I can just add one of the images that I'll never forget, we also are blessed to have the community chorale led by Vanessa Ford, the great Vanessa Ford, Mm -hmm. and um, the folks who come out for that. In fact, tonight, tonight we'll have a rehearsal. And then they'll come on Sunday and rehearse again. This is a group of community folks that just step up and say, we want to be part of this. Mm -hmm. And I remember one year, it was crazy weather. It was freezing cold. And people had to climb over snowbanks. Do you remember that? (laughs) this, This group of humans showed up. And the kids, who of course were all in, we're watching these adults like go through snow and freezing temperatures and stand there and be the support, right? They're singing in support of this whole event. And it really solidified this gen- multi-generational aspect mm-hmm. that it is about the we. Mm. And it just I'll never forget just that image of the kids watching these folks like climb over snowbanks in order to stand proud mm-hmm. and sing and mm-hmm. you know hold the space and so it's very deeply meaningful to all of us that yes. you know just realize that you know we are all here to lift each other up and you actually get to be a part of something where you get to see what that feels like and you get to be part of this as you saw last year, part of a family of folks who who love this community Mm -hmm. and who want to see our young people have agency and Mm -hmm. feel that we're there in support of them. And I think think this is a pretty uh, expansive expression of that. I get goosebumps. Yeah. (laughs) It starts at 9 o'clock at the Mass Mutual Center on Monday. The program begins officially at 11 o'clock. I think we'll take a little break here, Mm -hmm. but coming up, we'll talk more about the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr. with Eileen McCaffrey from Community Music School, Shannon Rutter of MLK Jr. Family Services, and Dr. Calvin Hill of Springfield College. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. If I can help somebody as they pass Uh. along... Mavis. Mavis. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Monty Belmonte. And I'm Khalees Smith. And we're joined in the studio by Shannon Rudder, the executive director of MLK Junior Family Services, Eileen McCaffrey from the Community Music School, the executive director there of Springfield, and Dr. Calvin Harris of Springfield College, who are all part of the MLK. What was that? Did I say? Well, I keep saying Harris in my brain. Did I do this once before, Cal? That was your first time. But I, you know me, what? That was wait, your first wait, time. Wait, does this happen to you a lot? No. Well, typically I get the Calvin Hill that played for Yale and the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, my goodness. But so people always get the connection. Not Calvin Harris, the, uh, the musician. musician. He's the yeah, musician. That's the one that, yeah. you know, that's good company to be that in. That is good company. Calvin uh, any Hill. Calvin is great. We have a president. Calvin Hobbs. Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Calvin Klein. Um, Ain't no and friend of mine. And we're here to talk about uh, MLK's uh, celebration on Monday at the Mass Mutual Center. In Springfield, um, Shannon Rudder from MLK Junior Family Services, uh, you're, as the executive director there, and your organization's mission is to carry out 
Dr. King's mission day in and day out. And we've mentioned Ron Johnson, who was the former leader there who helped reconvene this. I got to know him over the years as well. He was an incredible human being, passed away due to COVID, uh, kind of mid-pandemic, which was a huge tragedy for the whole community. But for those who aren't familiar with what MLK uh, services does tell us about how you carry on that mission day in and day out. Oh wow! So I would say that MLK Junior Family Services really steeps ourselves in the community to lend an ear to the community to hear what the needs are, and then serve them. Um, and so we do that by way of we've got f- one of the fourth largest food pantries in the region, um, and so meeting making sure that our that our neighbors you know have the food and the nourishment that they need um, folks that are coming through the doors are often new to our community um, and so we become a, a place of community a central hub for them a friendly face um, and so it becomes more than just food right mm-hmm. um, and we also have a partnership with mass humanities for the clemente program which is an amazing opportunity also a free opportunity um, to to continue um, get their education and to steep themselves as social change agents. Uh, and then we also have a partnership with um, the Department of Children and Family Services to stabilize and ensure that families are, remain together with resources that they really, really need at the times that they need them. And then we have a very robust and ever-growing youth a program. Um, we start with uh, two sites. We are in partnership with Martin Luther King Char- Charter School of Excellence, and so we have a site for after-school uh, program there. We also have a, after- a site at our center uh, right there on Ron Johnson Way, nice. uh, uh, 3 Rutland. And we also then move our after-school kiddos into um, what we're calling a, a safety net so mm-hmm. that they're coming right from after-school and they're, you know, as they matriculate through their academic journey, they are held by programs um, at the center. And so what that looks like is, you know, enrichment programs. We, we just got an artist in residency program. Um, so bringing in dance and um, and um, different forms of, of, of art as an expression and as a way of healing, right? Um, and then we also have partnership with the Public Health Institute to bring mental health awareness to our youth and are open at night spot um, from, for kids 11 to 22. Um, and so our center is booming um, from, you know, 2.30 to like 9 o'clock uh, Monday through Friday. Um, and so we're just, we're just grateful to be uh, in partnership um, with the community, providing the services that are necessary um, and always looking for ways to hear from folks um, that want to host something in our center that will also benefit um, other community groups. Um, yeah. or, um, as, as I have a dear friend, Frank Robinson, that likes to say, the unyoung um, <laughs> <laughs> of our community. And so, you know. Sounds like defrocking. I have been unyounged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Frank Robinson, another legendary name in the area. Amen. Amen. his retirement the other day. Uh, yes. And so we're speaking with Shannon Rudder of MLK Junior Family Services, continuing that incredible legacy of not only Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but Ron Johnson, as well as Eileen McCaffrey from Community Music School and Dr. Calvin Hill of Springfield College. We're 
I'll get it right. Um, do the students from Springfield College get involved with this too? Does the experience of like seeing that much community that really exists like right around them mm-hmm. change their experience on campus and off campus? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so we're going to have a number of our AmeriCorps volunteers that are affiliated with the college on site, uh, and they've been doing it the last several years, coming out and supporting either ushering along with St. John's Congregational Church, uh, assisting with the meal preparation and distribution of the snack <laughs> this bags. This is really weighing heavy it's on like, Dr. Hill's mind. I'm, I'm he was, thinking about those snacks. Getting Look, the BJ's car ready on the break and all that to thinking get the about snacks. The snacks. Getting hangry thinking is real, snacks. and kids <laughs> got to get fed. And, and don't you know, don't want Shannon those yes, young kids yes, out yes. there hungry before they get on stage and sing. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, we are excited. And I think for us, you know, I love that Mason Square community and where Springfield College is affiliated uh, and situated in the community. And I think the more our students uh, have an opportunity to engage with our neighbors, Uh, the better they're going to be. You know, I love our mission at Springfield College, which is leadership and service to others. Uh, And for them to get to know the others, specifically the others in their community, is absolutely critical. And then, Shannon, you talked about so much amazing work that the the Family Service Center does. Uh, And one of the things I really want us to think about, too, is our HBCU tour. Oh, I was about Uh, to bring that up. I know. We're going to talk about the HBCU (laughs) Howard alum, right? I'm a Howard alum. uh, And uh, any time we get an opportunity to get our young people to start thinking about college. Uh, While I would love for them to think about Springfield College, uh, you know, for me, I really am someone that looks at Dr. King as a Morehouse alum. Mm -hmm. Uh, He should have chosen Howard, but, uh, you know, we'll let Dr. (laughs) King make his decision. Uh, But uh, anytime our students get an opportunity to look at some of the best college universities in this country and see people that look like them, uh, have that sense of pride that we've been talking about uh, is absolutely critical. So uh, I just want to put a plug out there and say thank you for everything that the center does to uh, put that in the mind uh, of our young people uh, because I truly understand and believe that if you see it, you can dream it and believe it. Uh, so stepping foot on the campus of some of our HBCUs, specifically Howard. Uh, is something <laughs> that <laughs> Howard is not an underwriter. <laughs> they're, they're maybe it should be. They have their own affiliated station. Like Howard, the last bastion of Northeast. Like go Howard. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you like and I will say that I that is that is why I love you as a board member (laughs) I'm okay family services so let me just say just a little bit about it's an the HBCU experience is really beyond even the tour Uh, historically black colleges and universities what HBCU means if you don't know that yes so sorry about that so it it really is a a year-long program to do exactly what you um, shared, Dr. Hill, it's it's to it. So it starts with a a fair where we take by bus um, a, a group of uh, young scholars to Harlem, and they come back with like acceptances and scholarships. Um, and so, and then from there we go into college prep workshops, which Dr. Hill and I were just talking about. You know, how do we get those folks that are not going to go to an HBCU um, ready. And so we do that in partnership with local colleges so that they can get a sense of, of like, what's life like on local, local college campuses, right? And then there's the tour, which is, like, you, you talk to an alum of the tour, and it's just, like, life-changing um, uh, experience. So thank you so much for making sure that we got that. <laughs> well, I think we a- should talk to somebody who's going to go on the tour on this show and then talk to them after the tour. So maybe we should work that out for uh, some upcoming yes, episodes please. here. Would love please, that. definitely. Thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, Dr. Hill, um, you are from Springfield College, and you mentioned that Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. did give a commencement speech there long, long before yeah. you were there. But what what is the mythos 
surrounding that event at mm. the college. Can you tell us what you know about it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think there was a lot of question as to whether or not Dr. King was actually going to make that uh, trip. As you all may know, he was actually in jail uh, in St. Augustine, Florida, before he actually was able to come and speak. And there was a lot of pushback from the uh, FBI, you know, communicating with the president of the college at the time, uh, encourage him not to allow Dr. King to speak. Uh, now, I think for the alums today, uh, I think that they can pinch themselves. But I think at the moment, they didn't really understand the, the critical nature of, of having Dr. King uh, as their commencement speaker. Uh, but I think as we go back and we look at some of the key uh, moments and times in our college's history, uh, that one stands out. Uh, one of my colleagues, Professor Martin Dobrow, uh, is someone that has helped us to relive that legacy. Uh, he's currently writing a book about that and other issues around the civil rights. Uh, and it's something that we're going to be highlighting. Uh, as a matter of fact, a shameless plug, this March, uh, we are going to be having our, I believe it's our 10th annual uh, Martin Luther King uh, lecture uh, on campus. And I'd love to come back and speak about that no, uh, before that book, event happens. We booked two other shows <laughs> in the middle of this one show. This is awesome. Making our jobs so much easier. <laughs> and wonderful. And it, it's great to be able to talk to you about this event. Uh, let, let's just tell everybody one more time when it is. It is this Monday on oh. MLK Day. You have one more thing? Yeah. So when we went the last year, there was rumors that there was a pancake breakfast. It was called the MLK breakfast. And where we, were like, we got that. What, who told us this? So there is a breakfast ah. um, that is this Saturday, the 13th. I will get you information. Okay, on it's that. a different day. Different day. Yes. That's why we missed breakfast that day. It's okay. <laughs> We're like, and, where are the pancakes? And Dr. Calvin Hill didn't get us any snacks. <laughs> so that's what the problem was last year. But it was—it really, truly was a wonderful, moving, yeah. beautiful event with the kids from the community music school playing the drums on these empty buckets and all these wonderful performances and and really just reinforcing community across the board in a way that is very intentional. And because of that intentionality, is beautiful to see and be a part. Of. It's on MLK Day, Martin Luther King Jr.'s actual birthday this Monday, January 15th, living the legacy, continuing the dream, Mass Mutual Center, the doors open at 9 with a wellness and vendor and art expo and then the 11 a.m. program. Shannon Rudder, the executive director of Martin Luther King Jr. Family Services, Eileen McCaffrey from Community Music School, the executive director there, and Dr. Calvin Hill of Springfield College. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you. you. So we'll much. see you Monday. Yeah, <laughs> yes. See you Monday. Up next, the most public breakup we've seen in ages. We'll talk about Daddy leaving home as Ryan McCollum joins us to dig into Belichick's departure from the Patriots. And maybe. We'll get to speak to a real dad and Patriots fan. If you have thoughts on Belichick leaving, let us know. TheFab413 at NEPM.org. You're listening to The Fabulous 413 on 88.5 NEPM. Welcome back to The Fabulous 413. I'm Kalee Smith. And I'm Monty Belmonte. This from the Associated Press and NEPM.org. Six-time NFL champion. Bill Belichick agreed to part ways as the coach of the New England Patriots, ending his 24-year tenure as the architect of the most decorated dynasty of the league's Super Bowl era. Joining us is Springfield native and current Longmeadow resident, former D1 college football player, having served as a com- comerback? Cornerback. Yeah, you... Oh, that Comer is... Back, corner... Comerback. That's a fun... We were going to say Benedict that. Cornerback. Oh, my goodness. Cor- 
Yes. A quarterback for the Marist College team and avid football fan, Ryan McCollum. Ryan is also a political consultant who joined us for our live election coverage back in November. Thanks for doing that as well. You're welcome. And, <laughs> and while we talk with Ryan about Bill Belichick, our engineer, Betsy Lankto, is going to try and get in touch with my former Patriots correspondent from my former show, New England Patriots correspondent, my dad, who does not know that we're calling him to put him live on the radio and really, really hates being on the radio. So we'll see if he answers. But first, Ryan. Yes. This was this unexpected. This was exactly as expected. And this is exactly what the Patriots should have done. Or this is a disaster for the future of the Patriots. They should never have tainted the dynasty in this way (laughs) or some somewhere in the middle there. Somewhere in the middle. Let me have my disclosure. I am not an expert in um, NFL football. I no, did no. play college football. I, I know my. I know my. You football. are wearing a Chicago White Sox baseball hat. Right <laughs> I, now. I just like the hat. Um, <laughs> my younger brother is actually. Uh, um, he covers Notre Dame football and huh? does that in, as for his life. And so he's more of the football uh, expert in the family. But I think a lot of people saw the writing on the wall. Um, you know, two or three. You know, poor seasons in a row, um, and. You know, it's been heating up. And so over the last few weeks, um, I think folks said, you know, he's, he was going to go. Um, me personally, I think the game in Foxborough, where he is now, I think the game's kind of passed him by a bit. He's a defensive minded coach. Defense, defense wins championships. Um, old credo doesn't hold true anymore. We've seen a lot of offensive teams win Super Bowls. Um, and so a lot of people thought we lost the dynamic offensive. Uh, prowess we used to have, and we had that with one guy who his initials are TB, who wore number 12. and Tuberculosis? <laughs> and so, you know, with, ha- with a great defensive coach and the best, in my opinion, the best quarterback, if not the best football player ever on the other side of the ball, that was a winning combination. Right. Um, and we've seen when Brady left, he won a Super Bowl, and Belichick's been having trouble since Brady's left. So that's, that's the big argument going on right now throughout the sports world is, well, this has proven that Belichick isn't as important as Brady, and Brady made Belichick not the other way around. Is that is true? Fun. It's fun to have. Do you I think mean, that's, that's true? I, I think if you look at I – think, I think Belichick is the greatest coach of all time. I uh-huh. think he was at the helm of the greatest dynasty of all time. I do think people make an argument that is pretty factual that – Belichick's track record without Brady is poor. It's not even average. It's poor. Is that, um, do you think that maybe that's due to him not really developing other quarterbacks besides Brady? He tried with Garoppolo. <laughs> he wanted to keep Garoppolo, I think, and I crafted think he not. Did. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't like arguing in the abstract kind of <laughs> right? And so he, that's why when I argue with people like that, I said he was the coach, the greatest coach of the greatest Dynasty of all time, and so you can't take that away from him. With that said, you know, did he make Brady? Did he develop Brady so that that Brady that won a Super Bowl at Tampa Bay is partially due to Bill Belichick? I say so. Um, so it's hard to it's hard to untangle Kraft, Belichick, and Brady and say who's more responsible because that that recipe. Is, needs it's like, each yeah. ingredient. Like without yeah. something, like we don't end up with the it's dynasty. Like bacon that a cake. Had. The yeah. perfect storm. Well, let's bring into the conversation okay. somebody who I'm sure has strong opinions about this and also <laughs> has one of the strongest Boston accents you'll ever hear on this. the radio. Mine is awesome. going to come out so bad. New England Patriots terrible. correspondent, my dad. I, I, I uh, surprise, you're on the radio again, just like in the old days. We didn't tell you yeah, we you were coming. Me again. I, <laughs> at least it's not at seven o'clock in the morning now. I almost texted you as soon as I got the news. But what's your early hot? take on B- Bill Belichick um, exiting amicably, as he said in the press conference with with uh, Kraft from the New England Patriots. 
I just think everybody knew it was going to happen. It's, it was time. It's just, you know, all good things come to an end. I agree with your guest that D1 cornerback uh, Ryan McCollum. <laughs> <laughs> you agree with him about what? That Belichick, you know, had his time, and he's probably the greatest coach to have a coach, but defenses don't win championships anymore. You, you have to go with offense. How was your level of agita during this particular season, New England Patriots correspondent, my dad? How many times did you <laughs> stop watching the game because you just couldn't take how terrible they were in this last uh, year of Bill Belichick? Oh, I never stopped watching, but... How much yelling went on, and how much agita <laughs> did you cause my mother? <laughs> uh, not too much. I, I kind of expected it, after, you know. Ma, are you there in the background? <laughs> oh, my God. It's like Howard Stern right now. <laughs> I can't. Look, it's just going to get worse. Yeah, we're, like, and our, now our I'm joining in, and I can't stop. Who do you, um, Ryan McCollum, yeah. who do you think should take over at the helm for the New England Patriots now? Any ideas? I have I have somebody I would love. I don't know how, how uh, possible it is, but uh, Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh oh, just, wow. won the, just won the national championship with Michigan. Hard-nosed guy that gets people to play with him from a – from a family of winners, right? His brother won a Super Bowl at uh, for the Ravens. His 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 old man won a Super uh, not a Super Bowl, but a national championship um, at the Division One AA level. Um, I, I, I I he's a he's a, he wins at all costs, mm-hmm. right? That was the Belichick thing. If there's right. a little, you know whether it was uh, Spygate or Deflake, like he wants to win. Uh, Harbaugh just got he got suspended. He didn't coach almost half the games this year because of different recruiting things and actually putting scouts up in the in the stands to uh, to steal signals. I'm not I'm not proposing that that he does that, but I I it's, okay. it's kind of the Belichick way. I want somebody I want somebody who wants like has that undying um, uh, fire to win. Um, so you know I like Harbaugh um, and maybe getting some kind of new you know young offensive coordinated mind to to come in and, and run the offense. So New England Patriots correspondent, my dad, you're an old man just like Bill Belichick. <laughs> Do you think this is? Do you think this is it for Bill Belichick, or do you think he should retire? Oh, I think he should retire, but I don't think it's it for him. I think he's going to try to to break the record. Break what record? <laughs> the winning record. Most wins for the most wins for most Super Bowl wins because he's tied right now, right? Super Bowl wins. Yeah, I'm talking wins overall. He already has Super Bowl wins, I think. I yeah, think he, he has yeah. Super Bowl wins. I thought he was wins. tied for Super Bowl wins. He also okay. just got most losses ever. Okay, so there Ooh. you go. <laughs> I like the Jim the Harbaugh pe- thing. The though. pendulum swings Look, both ways. The, the Patriots correspondent agrees with the Jim Harbaugh idea. There we go. Well, we'll you heard it here first on the fabulous 413. <laughs> Ryan McCollum, like political correspondent, former D1 football player, and New England Patriots correspondent, my dad. Thank you so much. <laughs> Tomorrow on the fabulous 413, old world and new world music combined to celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. at Symphony Hall. We'll talk with members of the Springfield Symphony Orchestra as well as their visiting conductor, Damian Sneed, about blending genres for their program, classics and jazz. And speaking of music, Live Music Friday sees the return of our first ever musical guest, Peter Mulvey, but this time he's bringing a band. And we get to taste some truly old wine, Rioja from 1947. I'm Monty Belmonte. I'm Khalees Smith. We'll see you tomorrow on the fabulous 413. Oh, New England, right away.